Are you obsessed with Los Angeles? Head over heels in love with the City of Angels? Well, this is the podcast for you. At Lifehacks LA, we hack the best in arts, eats, and activities in Los Angeles. So join us and become an LA hacker. What's up, LA hackers? This is your host, Stefan, and welcome to episode number 76 of the Life Hacks LA podcast. All right, I've got another great interview for you today. You know, normally we try to keep things a little light here. We're talking about the best to do in Los Angeles, but LA does have some challenges, and one of the biggest ones we do have is the homelessness crisis. Homeless, is it homeless or homelessness? I, I don't know, I can never get that right. But anyway, our guest today is one of the most qualified people to talk about this subject because he has put in over 30 years in um, nonprofit organizations that help the most vulnerable in our society and the people who are struggling and he was born and raised in LA. His name is John Masseri and he is currently the CEO of the People Concern, an organization that helps try to solve this problem of homelessness. So uh, John and I go a little deep. Uh, you know, this is a very sensitive topic. Obviously, everyone has their opinions, but I think it's really important to listen to someone who's actually in the trenches. Um, I've have I got my opinions about the whole situation uh, like we all do we all it's something we're all um, dealing with and um, and uh, you know John shed some light to me personally uh, I think it's important to listen to people who actually are involved in the day-to-day I mean you can form an opinion off of an experience that you've had or or something you've read but it's a lot different when you talk to someone who's doing it every single day so um, John gives some great insights and he also uh, gives us some ideas about how we can finally solve this problem and how you can get involved to help do that so I hope you enjoy this interview with um, John Masseri from the people concern and I don't have a special hack for you today because I don't really have a hack on this subject so I won't be doing that at the end of the episode but um, we'll, we'll do that again when we pick it up next week okay so enjoy this interview with John Masseri of the people concern Welcome, LA Hackers. Our guest today is John Masseri, the CEO of The People's Concern. How are you doing today, John? Good. I'm just nice to be with you, Stepan. It's, it's a fantastic, beautiful day in Los Angeles, right? Yes, it is. Sunny and warm. So are you working from home right now? Or are you? Uh, no, I'm at the office. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, I've just been uh, converting my bedroom into my home office. It's kind of strange yeah. time we're in right now, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so John, we're going to talk about... Uh, a situation that affects everyone in Los Angeles, the homeless crisis, and it's a huge, huge issue. But before we jump into that, tackle that big problem, I thought we'd learn a little bit more about you. Where are you from originally, and how did you make your way to LA? Well, I'm actually a native Angelino. I was born and raised here. I was born in Glendale and raised in the San Fernando Valley and lived in and around the valley all of my life. I did go to college out of state, so I was gone for about five years and then came back. And so I live in Northridge now. Oh, okay. So you've definitely seen the progression of Los Angeles, especially when it comes with the homeless issue. I'm assuming it's only grown since you were a child or teenager yes. coming up. Yeah. Yes. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you got involved with that uh, type of situation? Like I mentioned at the top, you're the CEO of the People's Concern, an organization that you're going to tell us more about. But what got you involved in that type of work to begin with? Well, that's a long story. I'll, I'll kind of give you the, the, the Cliff Notes version. I um, spent the first 10 years um, of my career working in the for-profit sector. And then at the beginning of the AIDS crisis back in the um, early 1980s, I started to volunteer for an AIDS service organization. 
as a volunteer and started the first AIDS hospice in the San Fernando Valley, and then eventually went to work um, full-time for that organization that did residential care and supportive housing for people at that time living, uh, dying from AIDS, but eventually living with HIV. Um, and then in 1999, I moved to what was then the Ocean Park Community Center, OPCC, based in Santa Monica, because I always wanted to work with poor and disenfranchised people and OPCC serve people experiencing homelessness as well as victims of domestic violence. And I have been at the agency since um, then. So I've been here, this is my 22nd year um, here. The People Concern was formed um, a little over four years ago in the merger between OPCC and LAMP community. And so under the umbrella of the People Concern, we continue to provide services to people experiencing homelessness and victims of domestic violence. Wow. So you've been involved in, for a long time in volunteer organizations within- a Long time. Yeah. About 33 years working in, in housing and housing related services. That's amazing. So there's very yeah. few people that know it as well as you do that, I, that we could have on here. So. Well, I, I, I don't know about that. There are probably very few people that have been working in the field as long as I have. Um, yeah. So for sure in Los Angeles. Yeah. And it's such a complex issue. So let's jump into the homelessness issue. And like I said, it's obviously very complex, but just on a, from a broad perspective, because, you know, as an Angelino, someone from the outside looking in, we kind of hear about all these programs and, and, and money and attention being thrown at it to solve the issue, but it just seems like it continues to grow from someone on the outside looking in. So just from a broad perspective, like, why is that? Well, there, there are lots of reasons for the, the growth of homelessness in Los Angeles. I mean, at fundamentally, it's a lack of affordable housing. We have not built, been building enough housing and not enough affordable housing for decades. And so we live in a very tight and expensive real estate market. Um, and the cost of housing has continued to rise. Wages have not continued to rise at the same rate. And the housing stock has not continued to expand. So in a lot of ways, it's the perfect storm when you have um, economic downturns or when you have people who are severely disabled, people living with serious and persistent untreated mental illness, substance addiction, survivors of domestic violence, chronic health conditions, people who are working and are paying much more than 30% of their income for housing. So we have a lot of people in Los Angeles that are paying 60, 70, 80% of their income in housing and they stop working or they lose their income or their income is even reduced and it doesn't take very much to push them over um, the edge. So it's a, it's a confluence of all of these factors. It's not just any one thing, but we've seen an explosion of uh, visible street homelessness, certainly over the last five years in areas where it was historically confined to downtown in Skid Row or pockets on the West side or in South LA. I mean, we've had encampments and street homelessness for decades in Los Angeles, but not to the, the scale that we see. And certainly not when I was growing up here in Los Angeles. I have a 21-year-old nephew who has grown up in a generation that is very accustomed to seeing wide-scale street homelessness. That was not true when I was, you know, growing up in the Valley. You didn't see certainly large numbers of encampments or vehicles or anything like that. Occasionally, you'd see a homeless person here or there. Um, so the lack of housing, economic 
forces. And then the social safety net system has really been shredded over the years. And so de facto service providers like the people concerned and our colleagues working in the field, you know, have, have sort of become the catch net for um, people who are struggling with many, many challenges and barriers in their lives and find it very, very hard to afford to move into housing. Yeah, those are some great points. You know, just in the 12 years that I've been in Los Angeles, I've seen it explode. And you make a good point when you say the visible homeless, because I'm sure there's a lot that we don't even comprehend that that problem is going on. We, as Angelinos, we're just seeing what we see in the street. And But uh, I'm glad you pointed that, that out, because there's probably a lot of people that are homeless that we never even see, and we don't register. We're, we're just thinking about what affects us. You know, like you walk by Skid Row, and there's there's tents, right. and, and now that's kind of spread into these neighborhoods. And and uh, it, it's really definitely increased just in the last five years, like you said. Now, w- one of the things that I, I hear about a lot with homelessness is it's kind of like a political football. So one side of one side says it's because of this and this and the other side blames it on the people. And, you know, it's kind of this back and forth, but it just seems to be like a more complex issue than that. And you, you went over a little bit like the, the, the cost of housing is crazy here. But also, you can't categorize everyone because they're in different situations. There's people who are mentally ill. There's people who are addicted to drugs. There are people who are just struggling currently. Uh, This is just from what I've observed. There's people who maybe have come from an abusive situation. And then there's also like this influx of people who aren't from Los Angeles that seem to be drawn here. So am I missing any major major categorizations? And and what do you think of that, um, what, what I just said about how it's not a simple thing where you can just put every every person who's homeless in the same box like people seem to want to do. Well, you're right. I, I mean, I really, I despise the term the homeless because it makes it sound like every person experiencing homelessness that they're a homogenous group of people and they're not. People experiencing homelessness are as diverse as the general population. And as I said earlier, there are a lot of things that contribute to people becoming homeless. So yes, we have people who are victims of domestic violence and are leaving those abusive relationships and end up on the streets because they don't have any other resources. We have people who have struggled with mental illness perhaps all of their life or most of their life and find themselves in a situation where they've lost their housing and they're on the streets. We find people who are struggling with substance addiction. We find people with chronic health conditions. We find people who are seniors. We have people who you know, have lost their spouses or their partners Um, They have overwhelming medical bills, they lose their jobs. So, you know, if you've seen one homeless person, you've seen one homeless person, then that doesn't mean that there aren't um, similarities for people who are experiencing trauma in their life. But it, it is not fair to say or accurate to say that every person is homeless because fill in the blank or that every person who's homeless is mentally ill or substance addicted. I think one of the challenges, frankly, and and one of the frustrations that Angelinos feel is that, you know, visible street homelessness is often manifests sort of every negative stereotype and characteristic that are attributed to people experiencing homelessness. So, you know, you see a high level of mental illness and people Mm -hmm. in full psychotic breaks. You see people, you know, using drugs or selling drugs um, in encampments or on the streets. And so the assumption is, well, every person who's homeless is like that. People are choosing that lifestyle. They want to be on the streets. They don't want to be housed. You know, what I can tell you is I've worked with thousands and thousands of homeless people 
over the years, and I have never heard the story, you know, of someone who said, you know, I had this great life, you know, I had money, I had a job, I had family, I had relationships. And one day I just woke up and decided to throw it all away and go live on the streets. I have never, ever heard that story. I've heard a lot of people say, I had a great life and then this happened or that happened. And it's often a downward spiral in someone's life um, that leads them you know, to homelessness. And often, you know, people struggle with challenges in their lives. You know, we have lots of our house neighbors who are struggling and living with mental illness, but they have access to treatment. They have access to medication. We have lots of our house neighbors who are doing drugs or abusing alcohol or doing whatever they're doing. The difference is they're doing it behind closed doors. And so I think, you know, it's easy for people to say, well, I don't really care if that's what they're doing behind closed doors in their, their own home. If they're doing it on the street, you know, that's not okay. But the the situation is the same. The difference is that access to resources is looks very, very different. And so, you know, what we end up with is that we have a lot of folks living on the streets who, who just simply don't have access to the care and treatment they need um, if they were living indoors. So yes, there are lots of drivers, lots of um, causes, cumulative trauma in people's lives is a huge driver for people falling into homelessness and, and staying in, in homelessness as well. Um, so it, it is complicated. It's, if it were simple, we would have solved it a long yeah. time ago, but it's, it's not simple. Yeah. And I'm really glad you I'm really glad you pointed that out, because I can say as myself, um, you know, when I go to Echo Park, I used to take my kid there before. You, you really can't now. And, you know, I've experienced someone having like a mental break right there. And then you're right. I, I've, I feel like I'm a really compassionate person. I want to do whatever it's in my power as a law abiding tax citizen to help these people and to also help the city. And you know, when you experience that situation, you're with your kid or something, and there's someone having a psychotic break, and you feel like they could be a danger to you or your family it makes you angry. And it, you're right, you you kind of start to lump everyone into like, oh, the homeless are bad, you know, the homeless are causing these problems. And, you know, so I mean, I think some people take that to even higher extremes where they just blame everything on that. Right. But it's a good point that when you witness someone that you might perceive as dangerous or, or really having a, a psychotic break, I guess, is the, the way you phrase it is the best way to put it. You have to, you know, remember that that's not everybody. Well, that's, that's correct, you know, and, and, I, and I think we have to be honest and, and not minimize how scary that is for, mm -hmm. you know, residents. Of course, um, I'm not saying that anyone should put themselves in harm's way, whether it's a person experiencing homelessness or just anybody having a, a psychotic break. Um, of, of course, safety is important for everyone, for the community generally. And I think one of the things that has been really difficult for Angelino, especially over the last couple of years, is that we've seen an explosion of visible street homelessness. And a lot of those, you know, behaviors on the street are very scary, you know, to people. And I think that the flip side of it that you identified, Stefan, that's also important is not to label every person experiencing homelessness as, oh, those people, you know, all of them are just like that, you know, fill in the negative attribute because that simply isn't true. You know, people on the streets are far more likely to be victims of crime than to be perpetrators, um, you know, of crime. They are, they are far more likely to experience, you know, harm 
you know, to their, their bodies, especially women who are living on the streets have a much higher incidence of physical and sexual assault. Um, so there, there is, it's not, homelessness is not a good state for anybody. I mean, mm -hmm. first and foremost, for the people experiencing it, it's not good for the community. It's not good for residents, for businesses, for tourists. You know, it degrades the quality of life for everyone. Um, but I, I think this idea that everybody who's homeless wants to be homeless, chooses to be homeless and doesn't want housing is simply not correct. It's just, that's factually inaccurate. So is there a way to go for low hanging fruit? I, I wanna say like uh, help the people who want help because there is a percentage of people who have mental issues and it's gonna be much more difficult even if you provided a place for those people. And I, I you know that on a much, deeper level than I do, but is there a strategy where you help the people who want help first, or is that going on right now, or is it just kind of trying to tackle the whole problem all at once? And just No, it is going on right now. I mean, the, the service delivery system has several components, and again, I think this is, and I appreciate you asking these questions, because it isn't always so obvious to people from the outside. You know, I think what people see is the problem's getting worse. And look, I hear this as a service provider all the time. You know, the problem's getting worse, nobody's doing anything. And yet we have you know, hundreds of staff that are working really, really hard every single day in street outreach and engagement in our interim housing facilities, um, providing mental health services. And you know, we're supporting over 2,300 people in permanent supportive housing every single day. As I'm speaking wow. to you now, you know, there are thousands you know, of folks that are being impacted by our organization and by you know, sister organizations across the county. So again, the myth that nothing is being done, that the problem in Los Angeles is we've moved more people into housing each year than we ever have, but there for every you know, 200 or so folks that we move into housing, we have almost 227 falling into homelessness. So yeah. you know, it's, we've got to turn off the spigot. But getting back to your, you know, the original part of your question, I think it's just, that's an important point. I think it's, people need to understand when I hear folks say, well, nothing's being done. That just, again, isn't factually correct. Um, so there are different components of the system. Let me kind of just briefly break them down. So there is a significant amount of money being put into prevention services. So to really help people who maybe are just experiencing a temporary economic change. So somebody loses their job, for instance, um, and they may be on the the brink of being evicted. So there are resources to help them um, preserve their housing and not be evicted. There are maybe people who have just lost their housing. And so we wanna move them off the streets and into some kind of temporary housing until they can um, get their incomes up, find housing on their own and be able to, to pay the rent. And then there are folks that we work with that have been out on the streets for a very long time. And you know, those, those folks take a lot longer to engage, are gonna need a lot more intensive um, support in order to connect them to housing and services. You know, the system, so the system is really designed to um, be able to have various touch points you know, along the spectrum. Obviously, if we can keep people from becoming homeless, that's far more effective for those individuals than it is to allow them to become homeless and then try to pull them out um, of homelessness. And frankly, it's also far less expensive. Mm -hmm. um, but the reality is it's not either or, you need to do and both. We, we need to work upstream, as I said earlier, you know, we need to look at 
um, creating and building more housing and also look at the systems that are dumping people into homelessness and, and the reasons for that and turn that spigot off at the same time we're working on the back end for people who are already on the streets and who need to be moved you know, off the streets and into housing with an appropriate level of support to keep them housed. Now, you mentioned, of course, the most famous area with this problem is Skid Row and Los Angeles is pretty much famous around the world. Um, my understanding is that it started that way because of the services that are provided there draws people to it. Is that true? And if, if that is not true, then forget my ignorance because I don't know. I mean, I'm just a typical person who lives here and just hears what the media feeds me. Yeah. That's why I wanted to have you on, frankly. Yeah. Um, so you could dispel some of these myths. Um, but it, has there ever been any thought about putting it putting services in locations that aren't as many people, uh, you know, daily people living, or is that not realistic? Or Well, there, there are services around the county. So first of all, Skid Row was not created just because there are services there. Skid Row has a long history that goes back really to the turn of the century, you know, where it was the terminus of the railroad, where a lot of single men were coming to Los Angeles to build the city, literally to construct mm. the city. And so in the downtown core, you had a lot of single room occupancy hotels where those workers lived. And then over time, that, that was, there was a fair amount of housing stock in, in the downtown area. You had you know, a lot of the missions that had been in the city for 100 plus years were very active um, in, in the downtown area. And yes, there are services in Skid Row, but there aren't, you know, it, it's not the concentration of services in Skid Row that has created Skid Row. I mean, Skid Row was actually a policy decision, a containment area as Bunker Hill began to develop and the rest of the downtown area, the downtown core began to develop, you know, back in the 60s that, you know, Skid Row was sort of the area where poor people, not just people experiencing homelessness, but poor people generally in the downtown core were, you know, sort of designated. It was like a 53 square block area. And so there's a long history there with, with Skid Row. So again, it's easy to say, well, just because there are services there, that's why there are so many homeless people there. That's not accurate. You have to look at that in context. And in fact, there are services. I work for an organization. We have services, you know, based on the West Side. And I know, you know, folks in Santa Monica like to say that if we weren't there, there wouldn't be any homeless people there. But you know, there are homeless people along the coastal communities in Venice and Pacific Palisades and Malibu and Topanga. There are people experiencing homelessness everywhere. So yeah. it's not just this idea that, you know, you build it and, the, and they, will, they will come and it's only because of services that attract people. And we see what the explosion of street homelessness is. is that I live in the San Fernando Valley. There are services in the valley in certain areas of the valley, but the valley is a very large geographic area. And there are very large encampments in and around my neighborhood and there are no services proximate to where I live. And so it is not just you know, services that attract people. People will go where they feel safe. People will go where they can access services or where they feel they can be under the radar to the extent that anybody can, can be under the radar or where they have you know, connections perhaps where they've lived or worked or they may have family or friends. So again, it's, it's, it's complex. It's easy to sort of blame services for concentrations of, of homeless people, but that simply isn't true. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for your answer on that. Um, what do you think about that strategy? Cause I've read about that as well. It's kind of like a, 
DMZ zone where they just kind of put everyone, guide them all into this uh, certain area. I mean, it almost seems like a cruel thing to have people just I, living in. I don't filters. believe in containment areas. I think okay. that. The, 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 the truth is, is that if we want to solve homelessness, then, you know, every community, you know, needs to provide housing and provide support for people experiencing homelessness in their community. And frankly, if every community did a little, nobody would have to do a lot. And I think we've seen that play out, you know, time and time again, for instance, you know, when uh, I, I've, you know, been to neighborhood meetings over the years where people will stand up and be very angry and you know complain about people living on the streets and then you know someone wants to build affordable housing to move those people off the streets and the same people will scream and yell that they don't want housing and frankly we can't have it both ways you know you I have used to, to live in, where, sorry to I'm interrupt sorry. sorry to interrupt I used to live in San Pedro and that was a huge thing yeah because there's yeah. a huge homeless population there and they were arguing about I think they put it up some housing for them but then you know half the community was so against that but the problem remained if you don't, they were saying that if you put up the homeless services, more homeless people will come. But if you don't do anything, then the people that are there are living on the street are going to stay there. So it was really like a hotly contested. <laughs> yeah. Well, what we've seen is when you build affordable and permanent supportive housing, it actually improves neighborhoods. It improves the quality of life for the people, the residents in the neighborhood. And also you don't have people living on the streets because those are the choices. If we don't want people living on the streets, we have to move them indoors, we have to house them. And so, you know, as I said earlier, you, you, people have to decide what they wanna be angry about because you, you can't have it both ways. You can't be mad that people are on the street and you can't be mad that you wanna house them. And I know the answer to, you know, a lot of folks is, well, I'm not against um, housing, but don't do it here, you know, put it someplace else, you know? and if every neighborhood, you know, was, was building affordable housing, then people would be integrated into the communities where they're experiencing homelessness and often have a history or a connection to, to those communities. I mean, then you don't have large concentrations of people on the street or large concentrations of, you know, affordable or permanent supportive housing in particular areas or, you know, communities. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, if you were able to spread it out within every community, then it would the problem would be lessened by so much right there. And you're absolutely right, because I can just think off the top of my head, a bunch of communities that push back hard on that and definitely are doing their part. So the natural evolution is those people from those communities are just going to be drawn to the places that do have those services. So that's a great point, John. Now, another thing I wanted to ask you about is we've kind of seen in Los Angeles, there's a big trend going on. Well, I don't know if it's a big trend, but you hear about it a lot people saying, okay, LA used to be a great place to live. And now I'm moving. And I hear that a lot, you know, because of what I do. And the number one thing is cost, of course, you know, people are saying, oh, taxes are too high. I'm moving to Texas or I'm moving to Vegas. Number two that I hear is the homeless crisis. It, they say they're getting tired of it. So um, is there anything we can say to those people? Like, is it something that you think is going to be around forever and it's just a matter matter of managing it? Or is it something that we can resolve in a reasonable way? And I don't mean like no person without a house ever because that seems almost impossible, but in a way that other cities have uh, seemed to have not have it to the level of Los Angeles. Well, I believe that homelessness can be solved. Um, Completely. I, I think, yeah, I, I do, yes. Um, and that's not Pollyanna and it's not because you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of shilling for the homeless service, you know, industry or for my organization, I, I wouldn't have spent, you know, half of my life 
you know, doing this work if I didn't believe that it was possible actually to end homelessness. We know how to do that. You know, this is not, there's no great mystery here. You know, what, what ends homelessness is our homes for people. We, we have to build more housing with the appropriate level of services, you know, to support those individuals so that they remain housed. And we have to, you know, stop the inflow. So working on prevention, but also looking at systems that dump people into homelessness. Now you say, well, that's, you know, sort of grandiose, you know, how do you do that? Well, first of all, we, we have to make up our minds that, you know, we, we need, we need a, a warlike mentality, you know, on, on this issue. And I don't mean declaring war on, on people experiencing homelessness, but I mean, we need a, you know, the mentality that this, this is a solvable problem. We need the political will to get it done and we need the resources to be able to do it. If we will, you know, kind of marshal the political will and the resources, we can build, you know, housing. We have to find ways to scale and sustain housing. The current cost of construction is very high and it takes too long. So we have to streamline those processes. And there are you know, ways of doing that, working with innovative um, financing and um, construction that actually can get the per unit cost down. So we need to double down on those um, strategies. We need to make the entitlement process um, faster and easier. We need to get over the, the, the idea that you know, neighborhoods can, um, if they object um, to projects that by and large can be built by right, um, that we're gonna have to sh you know, reshift that narrative. As I said you know, before, Stefan, we have to decide what we're gonna be angry about. And so you know, for, for homelessness to continue to grow on the streets, it degrades the quality of life for all of us. Nobody has a vested interest in maintaining the status quo. I, I don't like it as a service provider. It's demoralizing when I see how hard we and other organizations are working to move people into housing and keep them housed. And we see more people on the streets. And I get, I, I totally understand, you know, from the outside perspective for people who are not working, you know, in the trenches every day, how frustrated, overwhelmed, and frankly discouraged people feel. They feel like it's an intractable problem that is never going to be solved. And what they see is it's getting worse, not getting better. Um, but I, I have worked alongside, you know, people um, doing this work for a long time. We, we know what needs to be done and we know how to do it, but we really need a coordinated focus strategy and, and appropriate resources to get it done. Um, once we do that, I mean, after the passage of Measure H, you know, I think that the, the general public wanted to see um, a reduction in visible street homelessness. And I think they thought that they were making, you know, an investment in that. And in fact, they, they have done that. But what people really want to see is they want to see the numbers of, of encampments going down. They want to see the number of numbers of people who are living on the streets being moved indoors. And, and unless and until we do that, then I think the general public, you know, who, who doesn't understand the nuance of the work and frankly doesn't care. Um, you know, what they care about is, I wanna be able to take my kid to Echo Lake Park or to the playground. I wanna be able to walk down the street and not feel like I'm gonna get accosted or I'm gonna to have to run the gauntlet. Um, I don't wanna to have to, you know, I paid a lot of money to live in my neighborhood. I don't wanna feel like my property values or my quality of life is, 
deteriorating, you know, because of, of the circumstances on the street. So I think those are legitimate concerns. What I would say is that um, we all have a vested interest in, in the solution, and, and, but, we, but we need a focus um, and we need a coordination um, that frankly currently isn't happening um, to the scale that it needs to. That's some great information, John, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's like if, if you're going to pay for a solution or put taxpayer, pack, taxpayer dollars towards this problem, it's better to solve the problem, you know? So like a lot of the people who complain the most about homeless, the homelessness problem are the ones who are also saying they don't want to pay a dime to help fix it. So, but wow. I think a lot of people are just, if I am paying money towards it, then um, I like what you were suggesting is that we need to build a housing to house these people and not just c continuously put band-aids on the problems because then you're paying for a solution that never comes instead of paying more right. now for a solution that might eventually get here. Right. Well, right. We're paying. It's the difference between managing a problem and solving a problem. Mm -hmm. and, and I think we've been managing the problem for, you know, a, a very long uh, time. And, and, you know, we need to reorient our, um, you know, thinking. And, you know, former supervisor Zebiaroslavsky had a great saying that I love, you know, he said, if you think excellence is expensive, you know, try paying the bill for mediocrity. <laughs> and, and I think that that's what we've been doing for a long time, is we've been paying the bill for mediocrity, not because service providers aren't working really hard and doing good work every single day. It's because from a systems perspective, from, a, from an overarching macro perspective, you know, we try to do everything on the cheap. We want, you know, quick, easy fixes to very complex, expensive problems. And so until we marry you know, the, the interventions and the resources to what it actually takes to get the work done, we're going to continue to, to chase our tail on this. Yeah, exactly. And we kind of live in this society now where everything is kicked the can down the road. Eventually, you know, we're going to have to deal with it. But John, I wanted to ask you, so like we've been talking about, it's such a complex issue. And there's so many great organizations out there that are trying to tackle it. They're in the trenches every day, like you said. But what uh, specifically does the people's concern um, do? Uh, what, I mean, what part of this elephant are you guys focused on? Well, we have several pieces of it. I mean, we start with street outreach and engagement. So we have several multidisciplinary teams, meaning we have people on those teams with mental health experience, medical personnel, substance use experience, as well as people with lived experience who are out on the streets every single day and engaging people building relationships with them and connecting them to housing and resources. We um, provide interim housing. So the step between living on the streets and being in some kind of permanent housing situation. So I said, we are supporting over 2,300 people in permanent supportive housing. These are people living in their own units or in shared units, um, but it's permanent housing. They have leases, they are living independently or with family or roommates. Um, and are doing very well. And we provide some level of wraparound support to those individuals to maintain their housing. We have a 92% retention rate in our, our permanent housing, which means 92% of the people we house are never gonna be homeless again. And we're very wow. proud of that. And then in between, we provide wraparound services. So, you know, mental health services, access to primary care and substance use services and domestic violence um, services as well. So really looking at the person as 
from a holistic perspective and matching the needs of those individuals um, to the services, because what we want to do is see people thrive, not just live, but actually thrive. Um, so we have many touch points, you know, in, in the system and see it um, from the perspective of often meeting somebody on the streets who's been on the streets for a very long time, who may be struggling with lots of barriers and challenges to accessing housing and then walk with them in their journey to actually see them, you know, move into their own unit. And that's a, that's a wonderful thing. You know, it's a very special opportunity to be part of people's lives, you know, in, in that way. And we also see, you know, the ravages of, um, you know, what, what poverty does to people, what domestic violence does to people. Um, and, you know, that's not always pretty and it's not always easy to overcome, you know, that, that trust, um, building trust, um, people who've been in and out of systems, in and out of institutions often for, you know, a good part of their life. Um, it, it's really hard to overcome a lot of those barriers. So I think, you know, for many people listening to this probably think, you know, if you were on the streets and our team approached you and said, hey, we'd like to talk to you about housing, you know, um, we, you know, we imagine we jump into their arms, right? And, and say, yes, you know, I've been waiting for you, but that's not actually how it works um, most of the time. You know, sometimes we get that reaction, not people jumping into our arms, but people are, you know, sometimes more receptive, but often it takes a long time to build that trust. I, I sort of, you know, describe our outreach teams as engaging in relentless engagement, you know, that there is, um, you know, you keep going back and keep trying to build rapport and tr keep trying to find that opening with people that is going to encourage them, you know, to to want to take the next steps. But it's not easy work. Um, yeah, and we imagine. should not fool ourselves. And, you know, the, the, the fear and, 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 you know, experiences that you've had, you know, with people, um, you know, we are confronted with that every single day. And so, you know, you can imagine how challenging it is to be able to suit up and show up and continue to go back every day um, and engage people. Yeah. Now, is that part of your um, Together We Can, you have a grassroots campaign going on right now called Together We Can End Homelessness that empowers yes. local communities to take action towards help, helping yeah. end homelessness. Right. Is that something you take volunteers for? Or yeah, absolutely. So that's a campaign that was started actually by a group of volunteers. What we wanted to do is really engage more people, you know, in this movement and homelessness. I mean, we, we want to engage people who become advocates, will become supporters, um, donors in some cases. But really, I, I, I mean, you know, many of the questions you've asked me, you know, today come up all the time and people... I find most Angelinos are actually empathetic, you know, and they want they want to help, but they're frustrated. Some some are angry, but most are frustrated and they don't really know what to do. And so we started this campaign as a way to engage, you know, people on a broader um, spectrum, you know, who who would say, you know, hey, I don't know much about this issue, but I care about it or I want to learn more. Or maybe I do know a lot about this issue and I want to help you know, in some way. And so our hope is, you know, that through the campaign that we'll build an army of volunteers and advocates and supporters who, you know, will want to engage in this work and in a positive way and help make positive change. Not, not just complain about the problem, but actually help us solve it. 
Yeah, that's awesome, John. And I encourage everyone out there, just like you said, I mean, if you want to solve the problem, be part of the solution. Like uh, for me, um, it drives me crazy to see litter, you know, like I go to the beaches a lot, I go hiking a lot. So, you know, I'm putting together a group that's going to go do cleanups. And now I'm really, you know, you said it, why don't I get involved with the this situation, you know, like, so we got to go out there. We love our city. We've got to go out there and get involved. So, um, John, this has been a little heavy. Like I told you in the beginning, before we started recording, we're, we're usually kind of light, you know, like what's yeah. in Los Angeles, but yeah. I'm excited for the, your answer to this question because okay. you're up in LA. So you see, yeah. I wanted yeah. to ask you, um, what would you consider your perfect day in Los Angeles? And I'm talking about when everything's back to normal, normal, yeah. it's gone. You've got the day off. Yeah. Cell phones turned off. You leave it at home. Yeah. Where would you go and what would you do to make it John's dream day in LA? Um, so I am a, a horseback rider. So I think I would start at the stables at, at you know, near Griffith Park and ride um, on the trails, you know, go up in the, in the hills of Griffith Park, somewhere near the observatory, as close as we could get on horseback. And I know there's limitations, but I'd, I, I would ride as far as I could and maybe walk the rest of the way, um, not leaving the horse behind. Um, on a, and, and assuming this is a sunny, clear day, um, and you know, connect with nature. And then I think I would finish off um, with uh, a walk on the beach in Santa Monica, and probably dinner at the Lobster Restaurant, which is one of my favorite places. It's right there on the pier and overlooks the water, and um, is a great place to watch the sunset. So it's kind of, you know, the best of Los Angeles, right? The mountains yeah. and the beach. I didn't get to the desert, but uh, I only have one day. So. <laughs> well, it is a fantasy, right? But I've yeah. got to try out that lobster place. You're talking about that kind of famous one that's right on the pier? Uh, it's right on the pier, right. It's right, right on Ocean it. Avenue and the Santa Monica Pier. It's as if you're walking up um, to the pier, it's, it's, it's to the left of the, it's not actually on the pier, it's adjacent okay. to the pier. It's, I, it's on the left-hand side if you were looking straight down the pier, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it's great. One of my, my favorite spots. I'll have to add that to my list. All right, yeah. John Masseri, CEO of the People's Concern. I thank you so much for coming on, my friend. Where can people go if they want to know more about you, they want to know more about your organization, and they want to volunteer, they want to give money, and they want to help? Where's the best place for them to go? They can go to our website, which is www.thepeopleconcern.org. And that's, you can click on there, and there's everything you'd want to know about the agency, volunteer opportunities, um, donations, getting involved, um, more about the Together We Can End Homelessness campaign, and more about our work. So thank you for having me on. I, I really appreciate it being with you today. All right. Thanks so much, John. We really appreciate all the work you and your organization do. And thanks for asking, answering our questions. And I'll put the links to everything you just said as far as people uh, getting involved down in the show notes. Take care, John. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back, LA Hackers. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with John Masseri, the CEO of The People Concern. A little bit of a heavier topic than we normally get into on this podcast, but of course, it's one of the most major issues affecting Los Angeles, and we all need to start taking a closer look at it, getting different perspectives, and seeing what we can do to help. Really want to thank John for coming on and for all his hard work that him and his team do to try to tackle this complicated issue. And in our conversation, he definitely said shed some light for me personally, and I hope you um, learned a little bit more about the issue and the different layers of complexity that he was able to share due to his uh, over 30 years of work 
in Los Angeles um, helping organizations like that. Okay, and if you want to find out more about what they're doing over there, just go to the peopleconcern.org. Um, um, check out their website. You can volunteer, you can donate, or you can just find out more about them. All right, guys, that's all I have for you this week. No hack, of course, um, for this topic, but we'll be back in our next episode and jumping back into LA topics, and then I'll have a hack for you then. In the meantime, if you want to follow me on Instagram, just go to LifehacksLA, website lifehacksla.com, and I will see you again soon. Take care.